Let's read on. Verse 14. Now, this will be, this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are set to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. But on the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats anything leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. This is serious business. Verse 16, he says, In the first day you shall have a holy assembly. And another a holy assembly on the seventh day. No work at all shall be done on them, except what must be eaten by every person. That alone may be prepared by you. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought out your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent ordinance. Now there's more info on this feast. If you want to check it out, it's Leviticus chapter 23. It talks more specifically about the feast of unleavened bread. How it's supposed to be followed. J. Vernon McGee said he was one time in Israel at the time of the Passover and went through the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He said by the seventh day he was sick of unleavened bread. He had had enough. It was really nice to have some good meat after that. But this was an important feast with some important points. I want to read to you a little bit about this from a book called The Feast of Israel. This is by a guy named uh, Bruce Scott. It's, it's a, a great little book. It's not too thick. Real easy reading. But he goes through and talks about all seven of the feasts of Israel and how they apply prophetically to Messiah as well as to how they're practiced by the Jews. Fascinating book. The Feasts of Israel by Scott. But this book tells us old dishes and cutlery are stored away. And fresh Passover ones take their place. All food products that contain any trace of leaven or hametz are discarded. Only goods marked kosher for Passover are purchased. People who have large quantities of leavened products in their homes and who would suffer financial loss by destroying them are permitted to sell them to the non-Jewish people and buy them back after the holiday. Then on the 14th of Nisan, using only the single light of a candle, a search for leaven is conducted throughout the house. Now remember, 14th of Nisan, this is Passover. So on the day that they're going to celebrate Passover, that's the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Happens at the same time, and that feast then will continue on. Well, on that day, a search happens in the homes of Jewish people. Still does today. They'll use a single candle and search for leaven throughout the house. And any leaven found, which is usually a few strategically placed bits of crumbs here and there, all of it is swept into a wooden spoon with a feather. Now that little bit of leaven that now is in the wooden spoon and the leaven itself and the wooden spoon and the feather, all of them, the next morning, are burned and that this ends the process that leads up to this called nullification. Nullification is the idea of getting all the leaven out of the house. No trace of leaven was allowed to be in the house. Why is that? Because leaven was sin. Leaven in Scripture was a picture of sin. It has always been. In fact, throughout, anytime you see leaven mentioned in Scripture, look at it in the context of sin. Because it's sin that, like leaven in bread, fills up and spreads out. You don't really see it happening, but it, it just begins to take over things. This feast of unleavened bread was important because it was a feast of holiness. It was a way that God said, hey, I want the leaven out. I'm making you my people. I want you to be clean. It was also a great teaching tool for the children because this was a family ordinance. Back down in verse 24, it tells us you observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. And I love this. The father writes about the children. God is concerned about the children. It's not just for the adults. 
I want your children to know this. I want you to pass it on. So here's some games I'm going to give you. Here's a feast that's going to make it very real to them. And as they sit down to this unleavened bread night after night after night and begin to again ask questions, then you can teach the children. And help them to understand who I am, what I'm about. Leaven was serious business and God wanted even the kids to know about it. Now as we saw before, leaven in the Bible is always a symbol of sin. But Christ, our Passover, was sinless. He was without leaven. In fact, for Jesus' body to be resurrected, he had to be innocent. He had to be sinless, unleavened, and perfect. But check this out. This just amazes me. We're going to get into a couple of things here coming, so be prepared because they're mind-boggling. The first one is that though the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread went hand in hand, there was a third feast that was also celebrated at this time. A third feast. It actually was instituted a little bit later. Leviticus 23 verse 10 tells us, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you shall enter the land which I am going to give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring in the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf. This is called the waving of the omer. I don't know why, but that's what they call it. The waving of the omer. Wave the sheep before the Lord for you to be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Now this is called the Feast of First Fruits. And this particular feast happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread and after the Passover every year. As it's the traditional feast of Israel. But this is what's amazing about it. On precisely this day, on the observance of first fruits, after the Passover, but during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Jesus rose from the dead as the first one to do so, never to die again. Jesus resurrected, and Paul refers not only to Christ our Passover, but to Christ the first fruits. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 15.20 But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. And then, after that, those who are in Christ at His coming. And then comes the end when He hands over the kingdom to God the Father and He established and when He has abolished all rule and all authority and power for He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. Christ the first fruits. These things are not by chance. Here comes Jesus into Jerusalem for the Passover celebration on the night of Passover. What does he do? He shares Passover with the apostles. He changes Passover into what we call the Lord's Supper, communion. Gives it a whole new meaning. Then he dies the next day. As the Passover, at the same time, by the way, the Passover lamb was slaughtered, Jesus dies on the cross. And then three days later, as the Israelites are celebrating the festival of first fruits. They're waving the over of the first fruits. The first fruits from the dead, Jesus, rose back to life. Amazing. God didn't want us to miss this. God doesn't want us not to know. He wants us to understand that He is God, that He does love us, that His plan was not after the fact. It wasn't, oh wow, the law didn't work, so better send Jesus. From the very beginning, God was laying this whole thing out, preparing us for what was to come. The celebration of first fruits was implemented in Scripture thousands of years before Jesus came along fulfilling all of these pictures of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of First Fruits. Now watch this. Check this out. 
verse 18. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. Seven days there shall be no leaven found in your houses. For whoever eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is an alien or a native of the land. You shall not eat anything leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. Now notice, anyone who eats leaven during this time, any Israelite, any Jew, is permanently cut off from Israel. He's cut off from fellowship. You're no longer allowed to fellowship with brothers and sisters in Israel. Why? Because sin destroys fellowship. Because leaven, a picture of sin, is a destroyer. It destroys fellowship. When I sin, it destroys my fellowship, not only with God the Father, but also with you. Because so much of our sin has to do with other people, doesn't it? The things we do have an effect on other people. Not just where we specifically go out and try to hurt somebody, try to wreak, you know, wreak havoc in someone's life, but our sin itself can hurt other people. We need to recognize that and understand it. Sin destroys fellowship. First John chapter 1, verse 6. And this is another verse we've said over and over and over the last few weeks. The Father keeps bringing it back to us. First John 1, 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, but we walk in the darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So, if you ate leaven, you're cut off. Is leaven a picture of sin and sin destroys fellowship? But I want you to understand one more very interesting tidbit about the Passover meal before we move on. This fascinates me. You may be familiar, there's a tradition in the eating of the Passover called the Afikomen. Afikomen, that's A-F-I-K-O-M-E-N. The Afikomen is a piece of matzah bread. Now, real quickly, I'll explain this to you. Some of you may be familiar with this, but what the Jews do, even today, is they have a pouch of sorts that had three parts to it, three sections. And at the beginning of Passover, the Passover meal, they would take three unbroken square matzah breads, and they place one in the top shelf, and one in the middle, and one in the third. And then they would set it aside until a certain point in the meal. During the meal, the second matzah bread, they would come and they'd take the second one out of the middle and break it. After having done that, they'd take one broken piece and slide it back in, in between the other two pieces. And the broken piece then is wrapped in a linen napkin and hidden somewhere in the house and left there. After the entire meal has been finished, the children are sent on a mission to find the afikoman. Go find it. It's somewhere in the house, kids. And so off they would go looking for it. And the one, even today, who finds the afikoman, brings it back to dad and usually gets some kind of a prize for it. Interesting. Rabbis today do not know what this means. Now, there are some guesses, some surmise. There are some rabbis who say, well, the, the three pieces of bread are the priests and the Levites and the Israelites. It's like the, the three designations of Israel. But that doesn't make sense. Why would you pull out the one that represents the Levites and break it and then hide it? I put it to you this way. What we see in that tradition is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Son is taken out, removed from Father and Spirit as He comes to earth. And there on earth, walking among us as flesh, He's broken, He's killed. Part of Him, the Spirit, goes back in. But the other part was hidden. And it remains hidden until somebody finds 
Jesus. Now listen to this. What do they do with that last, with that broken piece of apikoman? Does it go back into the pouch? No, it doesn't. After the entire Passover meal is eaten, that last piece is broken up even further and passed around and everybody at the table eats it. That picture is stunning to me. Man, when you find the hidden Christ, when someone finds Jesus and, and understands who He is, then what do we do? We consume Him. We take Him in. We pass Him around. We share Him. I'm not talking about a literal sense, transubstantiation, which is a, the Catholic practice of when you eat it, it actually becomes the body. But there's this powerful picture for us that we break the bread and pass around the little pieces. But that's not the most amazing thing about the Afikoman. The most amazing thing is that this word is the only non-Hebrew word in the entire Passover. It's the only one that's not Hebrew. It's a Greek word. And this Greek word is in the second errorist. I know that means a lot to you, but it means literally, check this out, this middle piece, this matzo bread that was broken and then is eaten by the family. The word is afikomen, which means I came. I came. I came. Father, Son, Spirit, Son left, and He came to earth and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, John said. The glory as of the one and only. I came. How can anyone read these things, understand these things, look at these traditions in Israel, and deny the power of God in the world around us? The arrows of truth constantly pointing us back again and again to Jesus. And by the way, one other interesting thing about this, when they ate this bread and the roasted lamb, something amazing seems to have happened, at least the first time, if not later, to the people of Israel. When they actually ate the Passover, listen to this, in referring to the Exodus, the psalmist wrote the following, Psalm 105, 36. He struck down all the firstborn of their land, that is Egypt, the first fruits of all their vigor. But, by contrast, the Bible says, he brought them, Israel, out with silver and gold, and among his tribes there was not one who stumbled. And you might read that verse and just go on over it. They didn't stumble. They were just happy to get out of there, so they're all, you know, skipping Torah out into the wilderness. No one stumbled. Okay, what does that mean? The word stumbled literally means feeble. What the Bible says, what David says when he refers back to the Passover and then to the people coming out, is after they ate the Passover, as they left Egypt, nobody was feeble. Everybody was strong. Every leg was firm. Nobody was weak. Nobody was limping. They were strong. In other words, it looks as though these strong, sure-footed Israelites left Egypt the morning after they had had the Passover. And the Passover itself was a sure-footed way for the people of Israel not to stumble before the Lord. That somehow, they drew some strength from it. Now you may be saying, okay, Rick, now you're getting out there. That's a little weird. That's a little bit too much. Well... Think about this. What did Paul say about our celebration of Christ and our Passover? Flip in your Bibles real quickly to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. Now you may be thinking, Rick, we're only halfway through the chapter. How in the world are we going to finish? Trust me. 1 Corinthians 11. Read along with me. You've heard this passage many times, but look closely at what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 11.23. 
For I received, he says, from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Okay, we've read that, but listen. He says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man, Paul says, must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink of the cup. He who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Verse 30, watch this. For this reason... Many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. What? For this reason, Paul says, because there are those among you that are abusing the Lord's Supper, that when you come together and take communion, you're not taking it rightly, it's making some of you sick. Some of you are weak as a result of, Paul says, this Because of how you're eating and drinking. Communion. There's something here. The implication Paul is sharing with us is that abusing or misusing the Lord's Supper actually caused sickness and even death in Corinth. Now flip back to Exodus 12 and you may be wondering, okay, what are you really suggesting here? Simply this. Simply this. Take this in as you can. By his stripes, the Bible says, by his scourging, we are healed. Oftentimes we read things in the Bible and we take them spiritually. We spiritualize them, even if we don't intend to. Oh, by his stripes I'm healed. Well, that means I'm healed for salvation. That means spiritually I'm better off than I was before. And I put it to you that it's more than that. That by his stripes we receive healing. Actual, physical healing. That we can experience physical healing by the hand of the Lord because of His stripes, because of that sacrifice, because of the perfection of that moment and what Jesus did. And I have another verse to prove this to you. Matthew 8.16 tells us, When evening came, they brought to Him many who were demon-possessed, and He cast out the spirits with a word, and He healed all who were ill. And then Matthew says... By inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our affirmities and carried away our diseases. By his stripes, we are healed. And Jesus comes to earth and is performing physical healing. Physical healing. And Matthew says, it's fulfillment of prophecy. By his stripes, you will be healed. Absolutely, we are healed eternally. Absolutely, by the stripes and the crucifixion of Jesus, I am healed to go to heaven. I am covered by His blood. Spiritually, I am saved and my soul is prepared. But by His stripes, folks, I believe the Word is telling us that we can experience even physical healing. And there is a connection here. Even to communion. As we take it every Sunday, as we focus on the Lord and keep our hearts in Him, I'll tell you what, if you want to know how not to stumble on the journey, take the body, take the blood, be focused on the Lord, and He will make you strong and not feeble to walk His path. 
The gospel tells us that these things were not only eternal, they were practical, they were tangible, they were temporal even results as well as eternal. Healing is the result of the broken body and blood of Jesus. Verse 28 in chapter 12. Sorry, verse 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop, as we read before, dip it in the blood which is in the basin, and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts, and none of you shall go outside of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door, and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever, when you enter the land which the Lord will give you, as he has promised. You shall observe this right. And when your children say to you, What does this right mean? You shall say it as a Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians and spared our homes. And the people bowed low after hearing this and worshipped. Then the sons of Israel went and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, Aaron, so they did. Again, quick note, we said this before, but God wants children to be in the know. He wants the children aware and alert. You know, Sunday morning, when Selena came up and gave, shared the devotion, I loved what she had to say. Because she took some very common basic things that we will be experiencing through the holiday season. Hot apple cider, Christmas cookies, candy canes. And she applied them in such a way that now every time you have a candy cane or eat a cookie or drink some cider, you can think about the Lord. And I thought that was wonderful. God wants us to use what's around us to teach. Use the teachable moments because you just can't think about Jesus too much. Let me encourage you as we enter the Christmas season to seize the season for the Savior this year. If you have children around you, if you have friends and family, look for opportunities to use even the symbols of the season to explain Jesus to people. When you put holly on the mantle, point out the blood-red holly berries and how they remind you of the blood of Jesus or the actual thorns on the holly bush and how that reminds you of the crown of thorns or when you sing of the wise man talk about the wisdom of someone who actually seeks the Christ when you decorate the tree talk about the tree of Calvary and as you talk about old Saint Nick you might remind children and people around you that unlike old Saint Nick by the grace of God God is not keeping a list He's not checking it twice, not for his kids. You're covered. You're clean. There's no wondering if you're naughty or nice. It doesn't matter. You're saved by the blood and the grace of Jesus. Now, the Passover happens. Verse 29. It came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. When Pharaoh arose in the night, he, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, uh, there was a great cry in Egypt. For there was no home in which there, in which there was not someone dead. Amazing. Remember how we were all so struck by the event of 9-11. But there were plenty of us who had no one dead in our homes. 
most of America, throughout the entirety of Egypt, all of Egypt, not a single home was unscathed. Every home had a dead person in it. Can you imagine the wailing and the mourning and the cries that night? Can you imagine the parents watching their firstborns early in the evening? Think about this one. The word of this plague had obviously spread. People knew about it. They had heard about it. They had been warned. Pharaoh had been warned this was coming. As a matter of fact, if you read back in Exodus, this was a warning that was given prior to all of the plagues. That this one was coming. And so when you realize, wow, Pharaoh didn't acquiesce. Israel's still in Goshen. And we're told that the firstborn is going to die through the night watching your child. Hoping, now, it's not really going to happen, is it? Until the eyes close and the breathing becomes shallow and then stops. And you as an Egyptian realize that this plague has hit your house. This was tragic. Can you imagine being an Israelite in Goshen and hearing the cries across the land? How horrifying a night that must have been. And if you wonder why God would do such a thing, let me remind you that this followed nine other plagues of increasing warning. Discipline without warning is not fair. As a matter of fact, discipline without warning is unjust. For a parent to watch a child go by and just swat them and the child have no idea what's going on is not right. But discipline with warning has a name and that's mercy. That's justice. Besides the fact God is God. And if you've got a problem with Him, I suggest you take it up with Him. But here's the deal with this Passover night. There was only one issue, one thing that mattered, one thing that separated the Israelites from the Egyptians, and that was, again, the blood. The blood applied to the doorpost, the lintel, the blood standing in the basin, the blood applied to the house. And folks, you may feel at times like you're weak in your walk with Christ. You may feel like you're blowing it. You may hear the cries and mourns of people around you in the world and think, am I next? But understand this, even if you in your life feel completely unworthy of grace, even as you fail, there's only one thing that matters, and it's the blood. And if you have been covered by the blood of Christ, you are saved. You are protected. God will pass over the sin in your life. Rick, how do I get covered by the blood? It's very simple. Most of you know the drill. You accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You believe in Him. You receive His gift of salvation. That's it? Yeah. (laughs) It's that easy. The blood was poured out for us so that we could receive Him, believe in Him, and be saved by Him. Has the blood been applied to your door? If so, you're safe. You're safe. Verse 31. No, we're not there yet, are we? Are we? Yeah? Verse 31. (laughs) Then he called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, Rise up, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel, and, and go worship the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and go... And bless me also. <laughs> I love that little tag of Pharaoh. Bless me also. I mean, I don't, you know, can I have something? Pharaoh, I don't think I'd be asking if I were you. Verse 33. The Egyptians urged the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we will all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, 
with their kneading bowls bound up in the clothes on their shoulders, backpacks basically. And the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, for they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they let them have their requests. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. You remember before, God said, hey, Moses is going to tell all the people of Israel to go to their neighbor's houses and ask them for gold and silver. How odd a request. But just tell them to go do that. So the people of Israel obeyed. They went to the homes of their Egyptian neighbors and said, hey, can we have all your gold and silver? God told us to ask. And God favored the people of Israel to the Egyptians, and they gave it to them. So God plunders Egypt. And we said this before, it was back payment for 430 years of hard labor. God made sure they got covered. And they plundered the land without a shot fired. They plundered the land. Amazing. As they left, they left with all the gold. A mighty battle was fought and won. But again, the victory was not Israel's. It was God's. With this final plague, this final blow, God emerges victorious as the only God and all of the gods of Egypt are deposed completely. Verse 37. Now the sons of Israel journey from Ramses to Succoth, which literally means tent town. About 600,000 men on foot, aside from children, 600,000 men, if you add women and children, you're looking close to 2.5, maybe 3 million people leaving Goshen, heading out of Ramses over to Succoth. Verse 38 tells us, interestingly, that a mixed multitude also went up with them. A mixed multitude, along with the flocks and herds, and a very large number of livestock. Verse 39, they baked the dough which they had brought out of Egypt into cakes of unleavened bread, for it had not become leavened since they were driven out of Egypt and could not delay. Nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Now the time that the sons of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years, and at the end of 430 years to the very day all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So this multitude, three million people moving out, but among them a mixed multitude. What's that? We're talking half Israelite, half Egyptian people. Egyptian, Israelite men marrying Egyptian women. Egyptian men marrying Israelite. And they had a choice there. You can stay in Egypt or you can go with Israel. And there were many who chose to go. And you're going to find out as we get on into the book of Numbers especially, you're going to begin to see the problem of the mixed multitude. If there's complaining to be done, complaining will come from the mixed multitude. If there is revolt, revolt will come from the mixed multitude. They will be problematic for Israel. Verse 42, reading on. It is a night to be observed for the Lord, for having brought them out from the land of Egypt. This night is for the Lord. To be observed by all the sons of Israel throughout their generations. Verse 43, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner is to eat it. But every man's slave purchased with money. After you have circumcised him, then he may eat of it. A sojourner or a hired servant shall not eat of it. It is to be eaten in a single house. You are not to bring forth any of the flesh outside of the house, nor are you to break any bone of it. And we talked again about the bone two weeks ago on Sunday. The bone that was not broken in the same way that none of Jesus' bones were broken on the cross. And the fact that blood is produced in the bone. And if a bone is broken during the time of its breaking, until it's healed up, blood is not produced in that bone. But blood is produced in the solid bone. And the blood of Jesus is constantly produced for us to cleanse us from our sins. Verse 47, all the congregation of Israel are to celebrate this. 
But if a stranger sojourns with you and celebrates the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and then let him come near to celebrate it and he, he shall be like a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person is to eat of the Passover gang. Circumcision was required. Circumcision was required for the Passover. For all the males eating of the Passover, they had to be circumcised. Why? Because this meal was a meal to be taken in faith. In faith. What does that mean? This is a picture, gang, of how an outsider is brought in. An outsider is brought in by faith. It would take faith to step up and say, I'd like to eat the Passover. I believe in what the Passover is about. I believe in the God of the Passover. I want to partake of this and I believe it so much I'm willing to be circumcised to do it. It is an act of faith. And the question that's really being asked here is, are you willing to part with the flesh? Are you willing to part with the flesh? No circumcision, no celebration. No circumcision, no Passover. You're not a part of it. But anyone who is willing to deal with the flesh is welcome to join in Israel's celebration. And the same is true in Christianity today. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 6 tells us, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. Remember I said how far God went, how close, how personal He wants this to be. He takes a very private, intimate area in the body of a man and proclaims circumcision. Intimate, personal, private. And he says, you know what? If you want to take of the Passover, you've got to go through that because it symbolizes something else. What's that? The circumcision of the heart. It symbolizes the heart of someone who wants so badly to be close to me, they're willing to do this. And no one eats the Passover unless they have had this experience. God will circumcise your heart. Now listen to this, Romans 2.28. Paul says, He is not a Jew who is one outwardly. No such thing as an outward Jew. Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Though God gave them the symbol, the sign of circumcision, the issue was the flesh being removed from us as we become more spiritual. The circumcision of the heart, the faith that we bring to God as we desire to celebrate our Passover, Jesus Christ. Verse 50, we'll finish up tonight. Then all the sons of Israel did so. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. This massive community act of faith. Verse 51, And on that same day, the Lord brought the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Let that last verse just hang with you. God said He would do it, and He did it. Who was it that heard the cry of the Israelites in bondage? The Lord. Who ousted the gods of Egypt with a mighty outstretched arm? The Lord did it. Who brought the children of Israel out just as He said He would? The Lord did. The Lord. The Lord. First He said it, then He did it. And I love this last verse, how it just brings this amazing picture on that same day the Lord brought the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their host. He promised He would, and He did. Gang, He said He'd take His people out. He took them out. He said He'd provide a way of forgiveness for sin for you and I. He did it. 
He said he'll come again and take his people home. And you bet your boots he'll do it. He'll do it. How do we know he'll do it? Because he said he would. And in every instance in our study of Scripture so far, all the way up to the end of Exodus 12, what we have seen is God says it and he does it. And you can rely on the promises of God and you can take them personally because they are for you. Lord, may you receive all glory and honor and praise. God, you are worthy of all our worship. You are worthy of our complete and unabashed trust. Worthy, Lord, that we stand before you and praise you as our God, knowing, God, not only of your existence, but of your passion, of your desire for us to be home with you. Lord, a stunning thought that you actually desire us to be home with you more than we desire to be home. We don't have a full comprehension of what all this means, of what eternity with you will really be like. We can guess, we can surmise, we can see in Scripture that it will be unparalleled with anything we can possibly imagine here. But Father, it is stunning to me that while we seek heaven and desire to be with you, it pales in comparison to how much you desire to be with us. And while you are worthy of our praise, we are not worthy of this gift. But we thank you for it. We thank you, Father, for passing over our sin. We thank you, Father, for sending Jesus into the world like the Lamb to take the full fury of judgment, like the unleavened bread to be perfect and sinless so as to take our sin on His shoulders, like the bitter herb, Father, to take the bitterness of sin out of my life. God, there may be someone here tonight who is dealing with bitterness over past hurt and issues. And I pray, Jesus that you will remove that bitterness that you will remind that person tonight that you took that that you experienced it you went through it so that you could remove it from them Father as we close out this evening I pray that we could leave here with simply the blessing of personal application God that you will personally remind us of the applied blood on our hearts on the doorposts of our lives and Father may we leave here with longing sandals on our feet our loins girded our staffs in our hand ready to go bless my friends bless all of us tonight Father I pray in Jesus name Amen